the 14th chapter, and Numbers, the 13th chapter. There's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. Sometimes we, we uh, ignore the Old Testament a lot, but I think I've been in the New, about half and half, I guess. I don't know <laughs> as far as that goes, because there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that we need to... to Joshua 14 and Numbers 13. And some in 14 of Numbers also. But that's where we're going to be. Okay, we're going to start out in Joshua. The 14th chapter, starting in verse 6. Now, before we get to this uh, thing, I know that this is uh, the, the whole scriptures are probably those that you're familiar with. Uh, these scriptures deal with, here we have Israel that has come out of bondage in, in Egypt. And now they're, uh, they're ready to go into the promised land. And Joshua, basically, he lays out or divides up the land in Joshua 13 and 13 through 14. is kind of him dividing up the land. But uh, we're going to talk about one section of this uh, scripture this morning in Joshua 14, beginning in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jehoneneth, the Gentonite. Man, I wish they changed these names. <laughs> I wonder what my name is in Greek, you know. We think our names are probably, you know, the simple names. I wonder what our names would be. We might not be able to pronounce our own name if it was translated into Greek. Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me, and, in, and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went... Up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thou feet hast trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children forever. Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said these, 45 years, these 40 and five years, even since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses. While the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That's 85 years old, <laughs> for those who don't know what fourscore is. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spoke in that day. For thou heardest in the day that how the Ananakins were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the, be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave him, gave Caleb, the son of Jehoshaphat, Hebron for an inheritance. Now verse 12, it comes out and says, give me this mountain. Now of course, in the Hebrew, actually what it really says, it says in in uh, Hebrew, it says, uh, give me this hill country. It isn't just one mountain that he wants. He wants the whole area. But it sounds better. Doesn't it say, give me this mountain? Give me this hill country? Just, there's just something about a mountain. You know, we have mountain climbers, and that kind of denotes some adventure and, and some more grander to it than say, give me this hill over here. Give me this mountain, you know? So, um, and so Joshua's asking. Actually, he's not asking. He's demanding it. He's not asking. He's demanding this mountain. Give me this mountain. He didn't say, please, may I have this mountain? He says, give it to me. And he think, well, man, what gave him the right to 
or demand something like that. You know, you have to, you know, kind of wonder that. And if we look at the history in Numbers 10 uh, and following, talks about the departure from Sinai. But after they left uh, Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai. And they had an encounter with God. The whole nation of Israel had an encounter with God. And they got the Ten Commandments. And they got the instructions to build the tabernacle. And then from chapter 10 on, that's them leaving Mount Sinai and going to the Promised Land. Now, <clears throat> if he wanted to, let's see, where are we at here? Now, he told them in verse, uh, let's see, give me this mountain. I lost my, my note here. But anyway, before he went to the mountain, when he came out of Egypt, and they went to the standing on the border of the Promised Land. Now, here they are. They've never seen this Promised Land before. Never seen it at all. They didn't know what it looked like. All they knew was what they'd heard about. They'd been passed on from generation to generation about this land. And here they were, because they were in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. So, man, 400 years, a lot of things can change in someone's life. And they, you know, ended up going there and being important to, the, to Egypt and respected to being slaves. So the life changed, but all they had hope of was something that they heard. It was passed on from generation to generation to generation about this promised land. And here they were, finally, after all the plagues in Egypt, after all the stuff they went through, and Moses was causing all the problems in Egypt with them because he said, let my people go. And now here they were, finally, standing here on the promised land. And then, they, wow, what are we going to do now? I'm so excited standing here, you know. And all of a sudden, they think, well, God tells them, okay, pick out some guys, pick out 12 guys, and go out and spy out this land. And I'm thinking, have you ever wondered why God said send out the spies? You ever wondered about that? Why? Because when it, that's what caused the big problem was the spies. They hadn't sent out the spies and said just go into the land. But I think God wanted them to go into the land and spy out the land so they'd see the giants. He wanted them to see the giants because he wanted them to have enough faith in him knowing that they could defeat him. I mean, you imagine that these were the people that saw God destroy a whole Egyptian army. So what would be a few giants? And see, God does different things in our own lives so he can build up our faith. God wants us to have strong faith and know we can beat, beat up on the giants. And so he let them go in there and spy out the land and see the giants. And that's all they could see when they went to the land. But if we as, as Christians, if we, are, we have a promised land too. We have promises God has given us. And we have, we're, we're standing at the threshold of our promised land. And God says, here it is. You want to go spy out the land? Go out and spy out the land if you want. So we, go, we send our little, little spies out and we go check over here and we go check over here. And we find a giant over here and we find a giant over here and we find a giant over here. And all we see is the giants. But if we all we see is the giants, then the giants are going to possess our promised land for 40 years, and all we're going to do is wander in the wilderness. But God doesn't want us to be focused on the giants. He wants us to, to know that, yeah, there's giants out there. Look at them. And now these giants, sometimes they think, well, these giants are just their interpretation of giants. Well, I've seen a lot of pictures of, of bones that they've recovered from over there in areas, and they had some big skeletons, and I've got a, a book at home that deals with it and tells them where they found these skeletons, and these giants were 15, 20 feet tall. Now, those are some big giants, 
I think I'd feel like a grasshopper too, wouldn't you? I'm, I'm as big as their feet. You know, you've seen the, what is it, uh, fee-fi-fo-fum, that, what is it? Jack and the Beanstalk, <laughs> about him hiding around with that giant. Well, hey, you know, maybe there's some truth to that story a little bit. But they went there, and God wanted them to see the giants because he wanted them to know that they could defeat him with his help. After all, they've seen all the miracles that God had done in Egypt. They've seen him destroy the Egyptian army. So what's a little giant compared to a whole Egyptian army? Would you rather face one giant or a whole Egyptian army? I think one giant, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> so, but anyway, and so they were to select one man from each tribe. Now, I'm sure that when they selected it from the, each tribe or one representative, that they picked the best person in each tribe. I'll bet there's the bravest, the most, whatever you could think, whatever uh, accolations you could place on them, the strongest, the brightest, everything that there was, that's the one they picked. You would pick the best of the best is what these 12 people were made up of. And they sent them out to the land. And so, and Ephraim, which we know, chose Joshua, and Judah chose Caleb. Now, in verse Numbers, now we're going to go to Numbers. <clears throat> this talks about Moses sending him out. Uh, numbers 13, starting in verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do you do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see? It happened to be the season of the harvesting the first ripe grapes. I love that word happened in there, you know, because there's nothing that happens or just happens in God's plan. They came to the promised land at the time God wanted them there. At the spring when everything, when life was blood and everything was going green and everything looked extra beautiful. It didn't just happen that way. And he let them come into the land at the best time for them to come into the land. Because they would have to live on the land until they get their own self-established. So he wanted everything there for them, everything set up. And they spied out the land for 40 days and they would return with a report. Now, some of the things that Moses asked them to do, he says, see what kind of city they are, see if they're strong or weak. Well, you see a giant, you know they're pretty strong. <laughs> Don't have to be very strong. Be like a, a one-year-old trying to beat me up. <laughs> anyway, uh, verses 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, Amalekites, live in the Gev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We are certainly can conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread their bad report about the land of, among the Israelites. 
and the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought, too. They thought that they looked like grasshoppers, too. They couldn't see anything. They couldn't see the beautiful land and everything because all they could see was the giants. Now, Anak, it was, uh, they were known, you say Anak, people instantly thought of giants because that was basically where uh, the line of Jer- uh, giants came from was through that, uh, through that line. And so they spied it out, and it was everything God said it would be. When God called them to the promised land and said, I'm taking to you a land flowing with milk and honey, he did. He gave them exactly what he promised that he would do. And so he didn't tell them a story, didn't exaggerate anything. It was everything that he told us, to, told us that it was. And that's good for us because there's a lot of promises in here about our promised land and the things that he's prepared for us and the things he wants us to do, not only in heaven but here. He said he came to give us life and give us life abundantly, not just when we go to a heaven, but here. We're supposed to have life abundantly here. If all we're doing is living there, See, that's where we're the advantage over the children of Israel. See, they were looking forward to a one land place and, and spending time trying to get to this one place. But see, when we become Christians, we get life abundantly now because that's God's will for our life. He didn't want to save us and then we continue on in our unhappy lifestyles and be miserable all the time and fight all these problems by ourselves. Huh? God wanted to give us life abundantly, and that means being with us and helping us and be able to help us fight those giants, whatever they might be in our life. Now, see, God offered these people the land. He said, here it is. I'm going with you. Let's go get it. But the people about had a riot there over the, over the giants because that's all they hear. And that's what we are today, isn't it? You know, if they're talking about something good on the news, we don't have to pay any attention. But, man, everything that's bad, we want to hear that. Who killed who? Who did what to who? Man, we're right there with our ears. We want to hear the bad stuff. And then we hear about all these earthquakes and all these bad things that are happening. And then we start getting unsettled in our souls, don't we? We have a terrorist attack of 9-11. Man, it made us unsettled. But we're, we're glued to our TV for the next week, and that's all we want to hear and talk about. Well, that's what this was going on. All they want to hear about is negative stuff. And, and the more negative stuff they heard, the more discouraged they became. And the more that they said, hey, man, you know, yeah, we traveled all this distance, but, man, I'd rather go back to Egypt. At least we didn't have any giants there. Sure, we had taskmasters. And it's amazing how you remember what the good old days used to be like. People talk about the good old days. But when you were in the good old days, they weren't the good old days. (laughs) And that's kind of what they are. Their minds were blinded to what bondage was like. And that's what the devil will do to you. You know, we become Christians, we accept him, and, and he, he saves us, and he redeems us, and he brings us out of this world. And then we, when, we, when we see a giant, and we get all in an uproar, and we think, oh, man, what's going on here? Man, I remember what it was like back there. I didn't have to deal with this giant. And the devil always tells you how good you had it back there. Well, if you're honest with yourself, you'll know, hey, you hated it back there. If you had liked it back there, you wouldn't have come to God. I came to God because I didn't like it where I was at. And I don't want to go back. I don't care. I'd rather face the giants than I would to go back. And the devil's going to keep having those giants show up and show up. And God says, I want you to kick them out. These are squatters in the land. That's all they are because the land belonged to to Abraham and his descendants. That's who God gave it to. 
And God owns the land, so he's the only one that can give it away, is God. And if he's just like us, you know, we come home from vacation, been gone for two weeks, and we come home, and somebody's living in our house. Well, that'd be a joke. So what will we do? Well, I guess we'll just let them go. You know, they got more kids than I got. <laughs> they got uh, whatever. They probably need it more than I do, so I'll just go over here and find me another place to live, and I'll continue to play, pay for that for them. Right. We'd be on the phone calling the cops, calling everybody looking for your gun. <laughs> You're ready to take, take possession of your land. <laughs> and that's what God wanted him to do. He says, hey, the property's yours. Hey, go with me. I'll help you evict them. I'll kick them out, but I want you to help me. See, God did everything for them up to this point, really. He hardly, they hardly did do anything. God killed the Egyptian army while they complained. God provided food for them and things for them while they complained. But now God says, it's about time you start getting involved. I'm going to bless you, and you're the one that's going to drive them out. You're the one I want to do it. Because don't we take care of something better if we, are, we contribute to it? If you, work for so, if you work for a brand new car, doesn't that car mean more to you than if somebody just gives you one? Anything we work for, have a part of, is more important to us. And so God knew that, and he wanted to fight for something that was his. Because this whole world is about fighting for what, we belong, what belongs to us. And God has a lot of promises for us in this book. And he wants us to fight for what he's promised. And if we don't fight, if we're not willing to fight, then someone else is going to possess your promises. And you can just sit back and complain and gripe and moan and wander in the wilderness till you die. Because that's what these people did. And the spies told him, he verified, yes, it's everything that God said it was. Oh, it's so beautiful. And they brought back the produce. And they said that one hunk of grapes, they had to put on two big poles and two, two men had to carry it. Well, those grapes must have been this big around. And that's amazing. But, you know, I've seen uh, in Texas they had a, what they call an enviro, kind of like an enviro smear, spear or something like it was a tank. And in that they created an, a perfect environment that they thought would existed at the time of creation, what it looked like, and the oxygen level and the, all that stuff that was there. And they got tomatoes growing in there this big, you know, just huge stuff. So that isn't, you know, we read this and it says, oh, the grape took took two men to carry a cluster of grapes. You can believe it because they proved that this can happen in, in certain environments. And I believe that this is what that land looked like over there. It was very fertile at that time before it was all destroyed by war and things, and it started to come back. And if you go back there, you'll be able to see how green it is. Of course, they don't have grapes that big yet. <laughs> Maybe during the millennium they will when, it, when the land's completely healed. But um, God wanted them to say, bring it in. Let them show this. Man, that, that'd do it for me. I've seen a, seen a grape the size of a watermelon or something. That'd be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be great. So, but all they could see was the giants. And the giants robbed them of their dream. The giants robbed them of their faith. And that isn't God's will for our life. In Numbers 14, jump it over to chapter 14. The people after this happened and all listened to the spies, man, I'll tell you, there was a riot on their hand there. In uh, Numbers 14, uh, starting verse 6, it says, Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jehonanan, tore their clothing. And they said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into safety into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of, a, of the people of the land. They are only helpless. Pray to us. They have no protection. 
but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Now, Joshua and Caleb, he pleaded with the people not to rebel against God because they'd spent all this time getting to where they are, and the people rebelled, and what happened? <laughs> they rebelled when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, and they created a golden calf. Well, God wasn't happy about that. A lot of people died. A lot of people were punished because of that. And every time you turn around, they're murmuring and complaining, and God punishes people when, you, when, when these kind of things happen. And so Caleb and Joshua, man, they're scared. They say, man, people, settle down. We don't want God's judgment here. Come on. But the more they pleaded, the more the ten argued back and forth. And it's kind of hard for two to listen to two when you got ten, you know. Sometimes the, the majority rules, and it's good. And sometimes the majority rules, and it's bad. <laughs> and we have a perfect example of that sometimes, don't today, don't we? Uh, verse 21. But as surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter the land. They had all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treat, treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess the, their full share of that land. God told the people that because... They rebelled against him and because they didn't believe in him, they didn't trust him, they didn't have any faith in him, that he was going to cause them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every single one of them had died. And none of them was going to see the promised land or, or possess it except Joshua and Caleb because those are the only ones that didn't rebel against God at that time. Now, they said that everyone over 20, now I don't know, uh, I guess they figured that you couldn't make a legal decision until you was 20 I don't know what the problem is but I'd I, I would have hoped to be 19 at that at that time wouldn't you <laughs> 19 and three quarters <laughs> to uh but anyway anybody over 20 years old died in the wilderness now I don't know some of them died probably died right away and some of them uh took 40 years to kill them all off I guess God wanted to build up a new new army a new set and it took that long to get a new generation 40 years they say is basically a generation because of the, these verses and so in 40 years, everyone until everyone died. Now Joshua and Caleb were spared because they had faith. And Joshua uh, granted Caleb's request because God told him he was going to give it to him. And see, so he didn't have to ask for something because God had already said, I'm going to give it to you. The part that you walked on with your feet, the part that you spied out, that's what I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. And this was 40, uh, 45 years ago that that uh, God had told this to him, 40, 45, whatever it is, there's difference of opinion how many years it was. And so he waited for 45 years or 40 years for this promise. And he knew that he could come when we come to the stood of the, at the border of the promised land. He was going right up there and say, I want my mountain. And that's why he could do it. See, we can claim a mountain. We can claim a hill country. We can claim promises as long as God has given them to us. But we've got to know what they are. There was no doubt in Joshua's mind what his promise was. And for 40 years, he wandered in that wilderness, and he watched people die, knowing that everyone that basically had his own generation was going to die. Now think about that for a minute. Every one of his own generation was going to die before he inherited his promise that God gave him. 
and you know that you're, maybe your friends that you grew up with, people he went to school with, who knows what it was, all these people were going to die. And so him and Caleb, when they entered the promised land, they were the oldest people there. You know, there was at least a 20-year, you know, gap of people between there. Now that's, you know, if you take all the people out of a generation out, man, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Wouldn't, can you imagine that in our nation if we took one generation completely out? I know they've killed generations through abortion. They've killed more than one generation through abortion, and we're suffering because of it. Because we're wondering why we don't have more tax money. Well, we killed them all. Wondering why we don't have a cure for AIDS. We probably killed them. Great leaders we killed. How many of those we killed? How many geniuses have we killed because of abortion? Don't know. We won't know until we get to heaven. So in uh, Joshua granted Caleb's request, and in Judges 1.20 it says, The town of Hebron was given to Caleb as Moses had promised, and Caleb drove out the people living there who were descendants of the three sons of Achan. Giants didn't scare Caleb off. Didn't scare him a bit. And once you've got a promise from God, giants won't scare you. Because if God said it, that's it. Hey, man, i got a promise. doesn't matter what the giants want to do. doesn't matter what the giants say. If God said it, that's, that's enough. And Caleb, for over 40 years, he believed that promise. And he kept wondering. He knew that one day he was going to get that promise. He knew it was going to be at least 40 years. Of course, I don't know what that time was. They knew it was 40 years, going to be 40 years, until everybody died or not. But they, he knew that one day that was going to happen. And he remained faithful to God, and he stuck it out. And every day he got up and li listened to these people complain and listened to all these people. You know, can you imagine, don't you just hate some people, you know, that caused you to get in trouble over something? You know, how they, if you're in the Army, if, if one guy messes up in your platoon, they punish everybody in the platoon, and you just don't like that guy. Sometimes you have a blanket party for him to try to straighten him out. You know what a blanket party is? Where you wrap him up in a blanket and beat him up. <laughs> they call it a blanket party. Of course, they don't do that kind of stuff now. But man, when somebody causes you to get in trouble, man, you don't like that guy. So here's Joseph and Caleb. They're walking around, or Joshua and Caleb. They're walking around looking all this because of you. Because of you, I'm walking here. Because of you. Because of you. I don't know whether they did that or not, but I probably would, wouldn't you? I'd be looking at every one of them sitting down talking to you. You know, are you unhappy? I hope you're unhappy because it's your fault. <laughs> Yeah, it's your fault. It's your fault. So what was it about Caleb that was different? That's a, that's a good question. And in verse 24, uh, Numbers 14, 24, it says, But my servant Caleb had a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. He possessed a different spirit. Different. Different from what? course different from the other 10 spies but there's something that he had that the others didn't have see the other 10 spies they had a spirit of fear they were just terrified yeah they could see the good land they could see all the, all the things and they, all they could see was the giants and that made them afraid whereas Caleb when he went there he saw the land he saw the promise before him and he seen all the opportunity that his whole family could have being raised and ra grown, growing stuff in that land. That's all what Joshua could see. He had a spirit of faith because he believed God could give him the land in spite of the giants. And the place that Caleb asked for had more giants than anybody had to fight. So he didn't care. Them giants didn't scare him because he knew who his God was. See, the problem that we have is, we, is, is that we forget how big our God is. 
See, we look at a problem, a situation, and we have a tendency to think God can't do it because our God's too small. But we serve a big God, and problems are nothing to him. It doesn't matter to God. He can do anything he wants at any time he wants. And any problem that we have is just, may, they may seem like a giant size, but after you look back on them, don't they look a lot different, 2020 hindsight? You sit there when you're in going through a situation or you're facing a giant or something in your life, and you think, man, I ain't going to be able to survive this. How am I going to live through this? I'm going to die. I just problems more than I can handle. But you just keep pressing in, and you keep trusting God, and you keep praying. And pretty soon, that giant's gone, and you've defeated it, and you're looking in the, in the rearview mirror and say, man, why did I have such a big deal over that? See, when we realize how big our God is, then our problems don't seem so big. And our giants, even though they're big physically, hey, they're not big in God's side. Yeah, compared to, compared to us, they may be big, but compared to God, I don't care how big they are. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. <clears throat> See, the ten spies, when they saw the giant, they were afraid, and they said, we cannot take the land. And they were right. They couldn't because they didn't have any faith. See, if they just said we can take the land, they could. Because whatever we believe we can do, we can do in God, with God's help and through God. Not by ourselves, but with God. But he does like us to, you know, contribute. Um, in uh, Caleb had the same spirit that David had. You know, we all are familiar with the David and Goliath story. Well, he faced a giant, and when he went to visit his brothers, he heard Goliath threatening the Israel. And Goliath was about nine foot tall, over nine foot, nine foot and plus inches. I don't know, I wish he was on my team, our basketball team or hockey team or whatever it is. That's a big guy. Now, I don't know, I've seen some of these people, you know, that are six foot tall. Dwayne's tall. How tall are you, Dwayne? Six two. Well, you could add, add three feet to him. He couldn't even probably walk through this. Yeah. And so... But David, you know, he sits there and he's just a little little guy and he says, hey, who are you? Who are you? He didn't get afraid of, the, afraid of the giant because he had a spirit of faith. He didn't have a spirit of fear. The whole Israel, Israeli army at that time had a spirit of fear and it let him defeat it, defeat them. And every time he went out and yelled and threatened and said, bring me somebody to fight me, man, they shivered and they were fearful because they had a spirit of fear. Caleb had a spirit of faith, and so did David. And it didn't come from the power of positive thinking. <laughs> oh, man. We sold so many books about the power of positive thinking, and I don't know, there's all kinds of books out there on that thing. Hey, it's just all in your mind. You just keep saying this, man, I can do it, 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 until you convince yourself to do it. And they think that that's all it takes. Well, it is a power of positive thinking. It's a power of positive faith. And there's a big difference. Because the one is, God is the object of the strength of doing it. The other one is we are, or in our ability to do something. A lot of things we face, we can't do anything about. And sometimes the best situation we can do is the things we can't do anything. Because then we say, well, I can't do anything else, I'll just pray. When in reality, that's the first thing we should do. But we don't a lot of times because we think we can do it on ourselves, on our own. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has given us a spirit. A spirit, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So God didn't give us a spirit of fear. So if we're afraid of the giant, if we're afraid of something in our life, we know that God didn't give it to us. And that we need to 
face that giant, we need to face our fears. And sometimes we have to do things afraid. I'm not saying that, you know, if you trust God that you're not ever going to be afraid because that isn't the case. But the difference in being afraid and, and doing it afraid. When you do it afraid, you're doing it knowing that God's going to kick in and, and take care of the situation. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to do it in his strength and his power. And when our faith is in him, he doesn't let us down. Man will let us down. I've been let down by men many a times, and I'm sure you have too. But see, God will never let us down. If we have a promise from God, he'll fulfill that promise irregardless of what's going on around us. And we have that confidence. Uh, the verse 14, 24 said, Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Caleb had followed God with his whole heart. He had a different spirit. He had a spirit of faith, and he followed God, and he was obedient to everything that God told him to do. He did, and he did it from his heart. He didn't do it because, well, you know, like sometimes our kids do things we tell them to do because they don't want to get punished. But he did it willingly. He did it out of, out of his heart, and he wanted to do what God wanted him to do and be obedient to God and serve God, and that was his desire. And because of that desire, he got the promised land, and he didn't, wasn't afraid. When we follow God, we follow, the closer you follow to God, the less fear you have. So if you're going through a situation in your life and you're afraid a lot, maybe you need to get a little closer to God. It's easier to be afraid. You know, you can go to school. If you, was a, if you was a kid in school and you had a big brother or a big sister, they'd say, you don't quit picking on me. I'm going to get my sister or my brother, and they're going to come beat you up. Well, that doesn't carry a lot of weight when they're at home, <laughs> Right? But if that big brother or sister standing behind you and they say that, all of a sudden their faith's stronger, isn't it? Go ahead, pick on me. I got, I got backup. <laughs> well, see, God's our backup. So we don't need to be afraid because God's bigger than any, any giant we may face or any situation in our life. We have backup. The problem we have is we leave him at home. We don't invite him to go with us throughout the day. We leave him at home. And God wants to come. He wants to help us. He wants to build up our faith. So the closer we get to God, the less fear we have. In uh, Joshua, the 14th uh, chapter, verse 8, it says, But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. So that, mo that day Moses solely promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Now, Caleb's testimony was that he, I wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Can we say that? You know, if we have a promise in here and we say, hey, I know God's promised me this, can we say, I wholeheartedly follow the Lord? Or do I just wholeheartedly follow certain verses because I like them better? Joshua testified that he wholeheartedly followed the Lord from his heart, and Moses confirmed it. And because those two things lined up, he got the promise. We've got to have both of them. And it's okay to say, hey, I'm following God. It's okay if we are. And confirm our testimony and let, let our life and let God confirm the rest of it. In verse 10, oh, in Matthew 17, 20, it said that if they have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. Of course, God might, must want, uh, want the mo mountain moved, but sometimes God wants us to conquer the mountain, and that's what Caleb did. Sometimes we we're, we're spend so much time and energy praying that the mountain be moved. 
Well, maybe God doesn't want it moved. Maybe he wants you to conquer it. If he kept moving mountains out of the way, we'd have nothing but all mountains over here and all flat land. And if you all just flat land, look at the, the beauty that we would miss. <laughs> so God would be less happy with that mountain there. He'll let you know. Then conquer it. Don't just sit back and keep praying for it to be moved. Pray that you can conquer it or move it, whatever it might be. Give you the faith and the courage to, to conquer it or the faith to have it moved. In, uh, and Caleb captured his mountain. He didn't ask God to move it. He says, I'm going to capture it because I've got God on my side. Uh, in verse 10 it says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 40 and 5 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day four, four score and five years old, 85, and yet I'm as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war both to go out and to come in. Wow. 85 years old, and he's just as strong as he was when he was 40. Wow. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think that sometimes as we grow older, we expect to grow older. We hear about all these things that's wrong with everybody when they hit a certain age. And the, the, you go to the doctors and they say, you know, you're not as young as you used to be. And we accept all this stuff. Well, I want to accept Je Caleb's faith here and say, hey, I'm just as strong now as I was the day I went out and spied out the land. As I was in the prime of my life. That's what he was when he was 85 years old. And man, he is ready to fight a giant. We, we hear, know about Jack LaLanne. I don't know whether you guys know of him. He's an older guy from the 50s and that my mom used to watch when I was a little girl and uh, did exercise, exercise in the morning. And, man, he's probably, I don't know, he's probably in his 90s, but he still looks pretty buff. You know, I don't know whether you've seen him, but he looks just as slim and buff as he was. His face is older. <laughs> but I think that God, you know, sometimes we accept old age. Because we don't know that we don't have to accept a lot of things. We accept so much stuff that I don't think we have to accept. I may get older, but I don't have to get fall apart as much as I do. Because we don't claim it. Well, if you don't ask for it, how are you going to get something? So we need to start being a little more specific and start asking specific things. People are so afraid of certain things that's going to happen to them when you get old. And so they dwell and dwell and dwell on that. So where's their faith? Their faith is in getting whatever it is they don't want to get. See, we've got to do just the opposite. God, protect me from all these diseases because we can do that. And when the doctor says, you're not as young as you used to be, say, hey, maybe on the outside, but the inside, I'm just as young, and I'm ready to fight and go. Speak in faith. So he, Caleb was confident in his own strength, and he declares it. Hey, I'm just as strong today as I was then. Doesn't matter how many old I am, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to whatever do I need to do for God. And I'm glad of Caleb and, and Joshua being that old because I was older when I got saved. So that's a, that's a blessing to me because I was 40 years old when I got saved. So I was at the age that they entered the first time, the wilderness, when they spied out the land at 40. So I was spying out the land at 40. <laughs> so I've, got, I've still got another 45 years to go, huh? Not right? Well, I need to worry about it. So he had his confidence in his, in his strength that he had because he was thankful to God, because he knew God is the one that kept him strong. He wasn't uh, conceited about his strength. He did whatever he needed to do. I said, back then you ate manna, and you know, I, I guess if we ate manna today and had ate nothing else, we'd probably be buff and healthy too. <laughs> so he was positive. Uh, he was uh, confident in his strength. 
and he gave God a credit for the strength, but he also knew that God wasn't going to hand him this inheritance on a silver platter. So, oh, you're so cute. And your, your body, you kept yourself such in good health. Here you go. God doesn't work like that. He doesn't give us things we don't have to work for except salvation. Salvation is the only free gift that we get. There's a lot of things God gives us, but there's a promise and then there's an if. And God wants us to do certain things so we can get ourselves strong and we can get ourselves buffed and we can be spiritually really strong so when we see the giants, we can say, I can beat you up. I don't have to worry about you because that's God's will for our lives. So Caleb was strong and serving God, but see, when you have faith, it wears work clothes. Faith has work clothes on. You can't just sit home and pray for something. You need to go out and you need to do something. God didn't call us to sit on our, our hindquarters all our life. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm just waiting for God to come. One day he's going to break through those skies and take me home. I can hardly wait. Oh, I'm so excited. And he just sits there and sits there and sits there. And you wonder why you don't have any victory. Well, you can't have victory unless there's a battle. There's no victory celebration if there isn't a battle. That's right. You've got to fight. And if you don't fight, there's no victory. And then the more you fight, the more victory you have, and the stronger you get, and pretty soon people don't want to mess with you. When you get so strong, the devil don't even want to bother you. But as long as he's bothering us and he puts things in our, on our path, we need to fight. And we say, how am I putting up with this? So take this, devil. We're going to fight because this is what God's word told me. This is what his word said. And I'm going to fight for what he's given me because i got my work clothes on. I've got my sparring gloves on. And we're going to go a few rounds. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, our giants are a little more, uh, I don't want to say powerful, because that isn't the case, but we, we face a different kind of giant usually in this life. We're fighting giants that sometimes we can't see. And sometimes I guess it's glad we can't see them. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what kind of giants they are, whether they're physical giants, because sometimes we're going to deal with some physical giants in our life. And we're going to wonder, how's God going to work out that situation for me? How am I going to get a job like that? I'm not even qualified for that kind of a job. How do I get it? Randy ran into that when he, he thought, man, you know, the way this world's going, I think I'd like to get an environmental field because that looks like a good field to get in. Now, he didn't know anything about environmental concerns or anything like that. And so I said, well, pray about it. And I kind of, when he first got saved, it just irritated me. It seemed like everything he prayed for, God gave him. Don't you just hate people like that? Oh, man, I just hate people like that. You pray for them, and pretty soon I say, honey, would you pray for this for me? <laughs> you know, that's why we have prayer requests, because sometimes some people pray, and God gives you everything you want. And so I, so I pray for him pretty soon. About a couple days, couple days later, wasn't it? A couple days later, his boss comes in, throwing a, throws an environmental book on his desk. He says, you are, you are a new environmental man. Find out what it means and get the training you need to teach it and do stuff. So be careful what you pray for. See? God can do it. Even though you're not qualified, he can make you qualified. All he wants us to be is willing to do it. He wants us to be willing to face the giants instead of running and hiding. Because when you fight a giant, there's just something about standing on top of that mountain. Victory. You know, when they win a, win a game, they go, ah, yay, football, yay, goal, yay. And they run around and jump all over each other. And I feel sorry for the guy that got the winning goal in that one game yesterday, or day four, whenever it was. Because, man, they cream them. 
I survived the game, but my, I couldn't survive the victory celebration. <laughs> because, man, they really cream them. But you can't have any victories without battles. And we sometimes, we, wanna, we want our lives to be so easy and so nice. But see, it can't be like that. Because if we got everything we wanted, never had any problems at all, the whole world would be flocking here. Not for God, but for the stuff you get. That's all. Sure, God takes care of problems in our life, but see, when the world is falling apart, he gives us peace in our hearts. So we don't have to worry about it like the world does. So the world is fighting with a, with a spirit of fear and wondering what's going to happen with the economy, what's going to happen with the war on terror, what's going to happen over here, what's going to happen with the health care. And man, everybody's about pulling out their hair. But see, as we Christians, we don't have to worry about that. All we do is sit back and say, it doesn't matter. God's in control. I don't know why he did this. And I argue with God a lot and say, God, what are you doing? What is going on? But see, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of all these giants that, are, that we're facing and worrying about them because God's going to take care of it. I personally believe he's going to come soon and take us all out of here so we don't have to worry about it. Amen? I'm excited about that. So how do we conquer our spiritual giants? We must have a spirit of courage founded on our faith in God. Courage founded on faith. And that's the key. Courage founded on faith. Because when we have faith in him, it doesn't take as much courage when God's behind you. It takes less courage. So all we have to do is have our faith and let it be founded on him. Follow God completely. Man, that seems easy to do, but we don't do it. See, we, there's a lot of stuff in here. We know that, that there's blessings attached to it. But see, there's some things we have to do. But see, we sit there and try to claim the promises, but we don't want to do what God told us to do. Or we tear that page out of our book. I don't like that one. Don't like that one in my Bible. I like this one, but I don't like that one. It's all in here. We've got to take it as a whole. We have to follow him completely. And we must be willing to do our part. Every, God has a place for every one of us in the kingdom. He didn't call anybody to sit on the sidelines. Not one person. It isn't like a little league where only the good players get to play sometimes because you want to win the game we're all playing and everybody's involved in the game there's nobody sitting on the bench so if you're sitting on the bench you need to get off because once you get in the game isn't it amazing how the point of the game is more interesting when you're in it than when you're sitting on the bench you're sitting on the bench and you think man this is boring i want to get in there and antsy you know unless you don't care and then you're cleaning your fingernails or texting or whatever but it's a lot nicer to be in the game and I, whoa, I hated to get out when I played volleyball in college. I, and I hated being taken out, but you had those rotations, you know, and I hated it when I had to stand there and wait my turn again. Man, I'm antsy. I want to get in the game. Well, that's what God's designed us. He wants us to be in the game. And we wants us to follow him. And when we do that, he'll help us win the promises that we need. Uh, we must be persistent and patient. Now, I, don't, I hope God doesn't take 40 years to give some of the promises he has in here. But maybe if we're persistent enough and we're being following him with our whole heart, heartedly, maybe it won't take 40 years. Maybe we'll just attack the giant right away instead of wandering the wilderness until we get fed up with it before we start doing something. Because sometimes that's what we do. We've had enough, you know. I got a, I got a short, I got a, what does it say, I don't have a temper. I got a temper, but it's short or something. Some people just fly off the handle instantly. Sometimes people takes a lot more, and then they blow up. Short fuse, that's what it is. 
But God wants us to have a short fuse in relationship to the devil. He wants us to say, hey, I'm not putting up with this. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight right now. I'm not going to wait 40 years and let the giants inherit my promises. And we can receive God's promises if we're patient and persistent. And we never give up or we never give in. Now, see, we have a mountain here around us. And I've asked God for this mountain, this hill country, Canab and Fredonia. And we need to claim a promise because I believe that God wants to reach this area for him. And if you don't believe that, you need to get on your knees until you do believe it. Because God isn't will, will isn't that anyone perish. He wants everyone to come to know him. And that's his will for, the, for our life. And so we need to start claiming that land for him. When we start walking around Fredonia, you start driving around in Canab or Fredonia and start claiming it and start praying as you go through the streets and say, Lord, I want to win this street for you. I want to fight the giants in this street and that house and in that house and start praying over these houses. Because that's what we need to do. And start claiming them for God. Instead of just sitting back and looking at the giants that are in this area and saying, we cannot win it. We are so outnumbered. But that isn't true. We are more powerful than any giant that you may see in this area. No matter what it is. We're more powerful. Because our God is big enough to do it. But if we're not, we don't care and we don't want to inherit the promised land. If we don't want to inherit God's promises then just turn right around and start wandering in the wilderness some more and just be unhappy and settle for what your life is. But if you're tired of that, if you're tired of wandering in the wilderness and you're tired of the devil beating you up all the time, then it's time we start claiming God's promises and it's time we start claiming this area and this land for God instead of letting the giants keep having it. Because I believe that's God's will for our lives. We're supposed to be giant killers. No matter what they look like, maybe their name isn't Goliath or Anakin or whatever it might be. They, whatever they are, we all have our own giants. But there's a giant of oppression in this area that we all fight commonly, a, a darkness that the light has to come through. And God wants us to be the ones that bring the light. Because if you bring a small light into a dark room, you can still see the light. And then the more people that gets into the light, then pretty soon that light grows and expands. And next thing we know, this whole community could be one to Christ. Now, I believe that. Arnie and, and Marge, they were here, said, well, I'll say one thing about you. You have vision. <laughs> and I always have a vision. I have a vision of reaching this area for Christ. And all of us together is the ones that's going to have to do it. See, Caleb didn't go over there and take that inheritance for himself, by himself. He had his family around him and things like that to do it with him and his whole tribe to fight the areas in, that Judah was assigned. He didn't do it alone, and I can't do it alone. I can, you know, God wanted me to, I could, because the Bible says that uh, five can set a hundred to fight and ten can set a thousand. So, hey, we got more than ten here this morning. And, hey, I like those odds. You know, God loves those odds, because when God does it, when the odds are against us, then everybody knows it was God that did it. And that's our whole goal anyway, isn't it? So God will get the credit and God will get the glory, because if we are in it for the glory then we're setting ourselves up for a fall. That's the reality of it. Amen? Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you.